Hey everyone, John and Andrew here. Welcome everybody. On today's episode, we have being a panda, serving as a local politician, and rowing the River Thames. This is Optical Course. Let's go. So John, if you were to rate the people who you enjoy spending time with most... She's my best friend. (laughs) She's probably up there and I'm offended. But um, (laughs) My best girlfriend. You know what I mean, Angie? Now your wife's offended. (laughs) So this is going well so far, but uh, this was the first opportunity that I had to meet her and and I was... uh, You guys hit it off. Yeah, she's she's just uh, a great individual and her ability to carry conversation about some really intelligent stuff or, or just... Have a have a good sense of humor and, and keep the yeah. conversation flowing. She just she, e- easy to talk to, right? Totally. Yeah. So perfect candidate for our first episode or first guest in her. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Somebody besides us in the room for sure. Yeah. So she was great for that, and and a local politician. She mm-hmm. ran for city council in the Cowichan district of Vancouver Island and and won her first time. She won, yeah. Yeah, which is pretty incredible. Wasn't even close. And what's amazing about that is, you know, she was raising three girls at home at the time and managed to continue to do that while leading a counselor's life. She didn't just stop being a mom while being a counselor? She didn't. No, she didn't. She tried the first year. Bold move. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it was an absolute pleasure to talk to her. In fact, it was such a pleasure that she's definitely going to be probably a reoccurring guest. You haven't heard the last of Maeve McGuire of... Enjoy, everybody. Let us strive to season our podcast with humor, <laughs> not offer it up as the main course. I'm like, who, who are you talking to here? <laughs> you know, yeah. everyone. Yeah. Everyone who's listening. How long have you guys been doing this? Oh, like a while. You, are, we, are, we, are we willing to say ye- weeks? <laughs> <laughs> Since uh, 2017. Is it, is it like a marriage? Where 2018 there's E-E-S-T. conflict sometimes and and yet you still move on together well it's like a marriage in a way like when we went to the tony robbins thing um we stayed in an airbnb and the guy said <laughs> said to us um you know we got a lot of fine dining places around here very gay friendly <laughs> oh. and i was just like oh awesome Nice. It was so. Pride Weekend too. Oh, oh perfect so timing. So I think he was trying perfect to be timing. like accommodating. Mm-hmm. And we were holding hands. Yeah. So, <laughs> so there was yeah, that. We met him way more than halfway on that one. <laughs> yeah. Uh, no, but we did you did you tell her how we met? Yeah. yeah. Let's get the attention away from Maeve for a second and just back go right guys. back to She's us. She's done a great Story job of, my life. of turning it around. Yeah. On us already. <laughs> That's going to be your strategy See how the many whole times time. I do that. She'll just parrot it back to us. I don't know how do you overcome that obstacle. <laughs> but yeah. No, this is good. And it, this uh, this just started as randomly as us on a walk and me saying, let's do a podcast together. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. Andrew had no, just no like delay. Like he was just mm-hmm. like, yeah, feels right. Cool. Yeah. Because we had talked about our like our group meetings to have insightful, thoughtful right. discussions. Right. And that just never really came together. No. And we just wanted to keep talking. Yeah, we enjoy being together. Mm-hmm. We usually meet at Whole Foods. There's a Whole Foods? There's a Whole Foods okay. in Victoria. I didn't even know. Yeah. Wow. And have you ever had their burritos? No. Well, then you have not <laughs> come to Victoria nor lived a life as a human being. <laughs> 
I feel like I introduced you to Whole Foods too. Well, there's By no the feeling way. about it. You did introduce me <laughs> and the bagel and the burrito thing. Man, he's evangelizing Whole Foods only having just been introduced to it himself. <laughs> I know he's converted. It yeah. it, it changes, does change your life. It I have been does. to a Whole Foods. It's not that I've been. I just didn't know Victoria had a Whole Foods. Oh my god, it's right in Uptown. Mm, that yeah, explains on it. the back part right so you don't see it on the way in mm. it was actually the site of our first recording as well mm. we recorded uh with a laptop an episode Aww. yeah we actually, tried to do it by phone what happened there john didn't know how to use his phone exactly oh. way back in the not day not a lie at all yeah <laughs> there was a little bit of a background noise issue yeah you could hear the soundtrack of of whole foods playing in the background <laughs> the whole time lesson learned yeah we didn't want to get sued and there was a lot of people around us as well. We did give some shout outs to Whole Foods though and their delicious burritos. We did. That's choose, twice now. Here it is again. Topping. Isn't our burrito banter adorable? Doesn't this put you at ease for this very hard topic? I'm just sitting here thinking this is the easiest thing interview I've ever been in. Perfect. Exactly. That's what we want. Mm-hmm. That is what we this, want. You've set me Please up. Please tell your friends. Now I'm about to get screwed. <laughs> <laughs> so Maeve, I don't think you even know this, Andrew. So this be a surprise to you, but... Maeve, for the last eight weeks, mm. has been doing what's called the Insanity Exercise Program, uh, made famous by Mr. Sean T. himself. Um, it is advertised as the hardest workout ever put on DVD. I didn't know that till right now. Hmm. Yes, yes, literally. Thanks, John. Advertises that, and that is how I sold it to her. <laughs> no, it isn't. No. Okay. <laughs> You bring us up to speed on how that's going. So you decided to do this. We, we talked about it and you decided, okay, yeah, let's give this a whirl and just talk about just the challenge of the hardest workout on DVD. Well, I, maybe if I'd known that, I wouldn't have done it. Yeah. Um, well, it starts where I was sitting in, in, um, in my house and I was feeling quite, um, I don't know if it's disappointed, but I was lacking motivation. And I knew I could do better than what I was doing in terms of exercise. It had been a while, you know, with work and everything and having the kids, I was not making it a priority. And it had been a long time since I made exercise a priority Um, where, you know, 15 years ago, it would have been like it is today. Like everything works around the exercise. Mm -hmm. Anyway, so John starts asking me questions like, so why do you think that is? And I'm like, well, it's the pain. I, I just don't have, I mm. don't have the energy to feel the pain. And he's like, right. whatever. <laughs> you felt pain before. You're, a, you're like a semi-athlete or <laughs> some ridiculous non-compliment. And, uh, yeah, yeah. and I'm like, okay, well, maybe it isn't the pain. Well, I don't know what it is. And he said, well, for me, you said, well, why do you want to do it? And I said, right. I don't know, to, to look good, to feel right. good, whatever. And you said, well... For me, if I don't exercise, I won't be myself. I can't right. be my best version of myself. Right. Yeah. And I said, well, that's not me. Like, I've never really felt that feeling. Mm-hmm. But what I had felt when he said that, it, it reminded me that exercise has always been a byproduct of socializing. So every time, every throughout my life, it was always a team sport that I participated in. And it was only later that I started doing anything individual. And so it was a connection and I would try and hike, I would try and run and I love hiking, Mm -hmm. um, lots of time to think and, and do that. But there's the, the emotional connection to the people I'm working out with and the joy we get of, of accomplishing something together was missing. So I tried to get you to join the monkey bar gym that I go to 
and well i looked at it again the there is an inconvenience layer in leaving the house yeah, to exercise definitely. right because i yeah. still have three kids and i exactly. still have to get to work yeah and it's you know yeah yeah cost money every and month it was and, expensive yeah, that's yeah. right it was it was expensive so yeah and i wasn't ready to commit that financially or right. or time wise to something that today i might now think twice about Right. Because I, now I'm in a position where I, I definitely want to keep moving forward with it. Anyway, so John says, John says, well, you know, you could just try to get fit again with these CDs. And John had bought the box set. And I, you have talked about it on Facebook before. So it wasn't news to me that you had done this thing. Um, but I'm like, okay, sure, I'll give it a go. And didn't you try I the started, clip on YouTube that's first? Right. Yeah, there's a there's a couple online, and so I tried yeah. the one of the exercises, <laughs> and I'm like, oh my god! And John's like, yeah, that's the that's the recovery week. Yeah, right? I said to the recovery workout, yeah. and yeah. I was like, oh my god! He's like, you could basically just do that workout yeah. and be fitter for the rest of your life, yeah, right? For sure. So I do that for a little I while. I tried to warn you and just say, no, he didn't. Uh, no. Uh, didn't I, I put recovery in quotes in the email? Yeah, but as if I would that have known that as a warning until right. you've actually it should have been a little more, <laughs> a little more emphasized. Sorry. Yeah. So then I I did the first one and uh, it literally is insane. Mm-hmm. And you do it's an eight no it's a nine week program sixty three days or something. Right. And you do they just rotate you through different cycles circuits or whatever. Yeah. And by the end of the first week, I was feeling like, look at me go. But then at every time you work towards the visual goal of ticking off all the boxes on the calendar right. to see that you've made it through. I'm now with, I have five days left and it's been fantastic. Hmm. I'm, I'm a better person for it. Well, and I look forward to the um, daily whiny email. <laughs> I am so sure. I've overdone it. No, the best one was when I was in a council meeting. That was the best. And I'm like, I texted. I'm we're an hour in, and I texted John, (laughs) and I said I overdid it. Yeah. And I'm starting to feel panicky because my heart, like I'm, my, I'm not breathing properly, right? right? Because you, it's ridiculous. It's exhausting. It's self-paced, and yet you push yourself. Every time. I don't even know and why I that was when it. I started to feel a little bit guilty. I'm like, she's in a council meeting right now. <laughs> and she's going to pass city's out. affairs before her. And she's like having a slight panic attack because she's so exhausted yeah, by so this exa- horrible, not, no, horrible no, no. workout. And I hadn't eaten. Pro- I hadn't realized that you also need to eat. Fuel. Yeah, and I wasn't doing remember that. Remember we talked about pacing. Yeah, you say that. How did it go how after the first workout? Yeah, I think I tried to learn how to pace, but it's... it's anyway... <laughs> I recommend it. It's uh, it is an obstacle. You feel amazing about yourself when you're five days out. Hopefully, I'll finish this thing. What has kept you motivated to to keep doing it when you don't have that sense of connection? This is the weirdest thing. I have no idea. I think John, knowing that John knows that I'm doing it, probably has something to do with it. Accountability, right? Yes. Yeah. yeah. Um, my children have been watching me, and they see the calendar that I'm ticking the boxes off and they have seen like they'll come down and just eat their breakfast or whatever and watch the the screen um, and sometimes participate and so there's this whole kind of group mentality around mommy's mm-hmm. going to finish this program so I think it's the accountability factor for sure so while I don't get the human connection well I have with John in this a little bit mm-hmm. and weirdly Sean T. <laughs> no, I know. I, I don't know how to explain yeah. it. I know he doesn't know me and I don't know him, nor yeah. do but I am 
intimately familiar with his crew. Yeah. Right? Because you've spent all this time together with them, or I have looking at them. And so they there's this strange reciprocal motivation that happens that it's it's hard to describe but it's not just that you've spent all this time with them it's you've spent all this time with them during a very difficult challenge and struggle and you've done it together right and you've overcome it together Mm -hmm. i think that is kind of the glue the other piece yeah Yeah. and the other piece is that they are as spent at the end of the workout that as i am no matter how fit you are it doesn't matter with this thing no and so you're in that misery we are yeah. sharing together yeah. yeah it's extraordinary do you have any other examples looking back in your life of something similar that that you've committed to even with the punishment that you've taken so when i was living in england um i was living in a place called Kew, which was on the river thames and similar scenario I had been out of shape for a long time got into a routine that you know didn't didn't at least funnel me into an exercise routine as well and um we I was preparing to come home I think at that point I was like kind of between two minds should I stay in England or should I come home and so I um my my girlfriend and I we walked down to the local rowing club and we said you know, let's give it a go. We're only in England for this much longer. We live right by the Thames. We should try this thing. How and how many years ago was this? Just, just uh, so we okay. Have an so idea. this would be around two thousand ish. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Gotcha. So about eighteen years ago. Yeah. And I think I had trained for a marathon in there with my brother. Can't remember if that was before or after, but anyway. Um, but I was looking for something again, something to do. And so we went and we sat on the rowing machines and rowing is one of those sports where you're going to know if this is for you or not very quickly into right. it. Yeah. Um, and, and again, if it, if it's for you, then not, most people are all in. Hmm. It's not just a, Oh yeah, that was a fun little thing I'd like to do once a year. Right. Um, the most people that I've been around, even at the Maple Bay rowing club where we live, the people who are in are fully committed and will do everything they possibly can. Anytime there's a, a coach going out with a crew, they're in it, right? Mm. So we, in England, um, so we walked down to the rowing club, we we got on the rowing machines, and I'm like, hey, this is, this is kind of fun. And then we got into a boat, and you can't row. I mean, when you first start, like right. everything's, there's these two spindly <laughs> sticks, and you're trying to like, whatever. Yeah. But something clicked. And mm. I went all in. I by mm. very soon after I was working out twice a day. We'd wake up, um, do a do a row in the mornings, go to work, come home, and do an evening workout. Mm. I wow. was yeah, I was in the best shape of my life. Mm-hmm. I was competing, um, and it was so empowering to be in a single skull on the Thames. Look at me getting all emotional about oh, it that's great. it's been a long time yeah um nobody's out there like i would be out at 6 30 in the morning mm. on my own wow on the river thames in the middle of london listening to the cars driving by mm. on the on the bridges overhead yeah and i'm in the most peaceful self-propelled right um crowd it was just extraordinary well and just, just the location right all of it i mean yeah. the history and the mm-hmm. man yeah, it was it was Wonderful really time. empowering, and then I ended up staying in England for another two, three years after that because of it. Now, would that be around the time when you found your English? My right? souvenir. Yeah, 
the souvenir Your that I brought home. Your lifelong souvenir? <laughs> yeah. Richard was rowing at it. Uh, he came out of that rowing club as well. Okay. And uh, we, he was very cute and had well, beautiful yeah. legs. And Yeah, and, I've seen him. Um, She's not lying. Yeah, still. And uh, I rode my bike and he rode his bike and we parked them near each other in the rowing club. Aww. Yeah. Accidentally then, on purpose. Yeah. Well, kind of. Because <laughs> yeah. I'm like, mm-hmm, sure, I'll park my bike next to yours. And then we both went out and did our thing. And when we came back, our bikes were gone. Oh. Mm-hmm. Somebody stole both of our bikes. Wow. So our relationship started on that. A yeah. shared shared obstacle. You guys rode home? <laughs> no. No. Um, yeah, it wasn't long after that that we, you know, we moved in together in the rowing club. Not yeah. initially, but eventually we lived on top of the rowing club. So we'd be able to just put our heads up, look at the state of the water if it wow. was worth rowing on. And uh, and then get down and get out, get our boats out. Yeah, it was awesome. Wow, I've not heard any of that. So it makes sense now where you live today. Maple, yes. Maple Bay. Right. Right? Like there's yeah. that connection. Water you guys access. I've always had that mm-hmm. connection to water mm-hmm. and proximity and stuff. Wow. Mm-hmm. That's cool. Yeah. Very neat. And I'll, now, was it a little bit before that time when you were when you were playing college ball? A lot. Yeah. So I was in, I graduated in 1997. Okay. It feels like a bigger um, amount of time between basketball and rowing. Right. But when we say it, it's probably only like four, three or four years, which is weird because at the time it would have felt like, like between, I graduated, moved to Korea, mm-hmm. taught English for a while then went to Australia and worked and traveled and then moved to England and was there for six years. That time between graduating and moving to, um, and starting rowing mm-hmm. would have felt, still feels to me like a decade. Right. Like right. so much change in that mm-hmm. short amount of time. What role did you play in the basketball team? I was a point guard. Mm-hmm. The boss. And what team was this? Uh, it was the University of Alberta Pandas. Oh. Yeah. You were a panda. I was a panda. Were you more of a shooting panda or a no, passing panda? No, I was a passer. You are a distributor. I was. Um, I shared the role with a girl named Christy Weeb, who was an extraordinary, is still an extraordinary athlete. All of them. I was, I would say I was the least athletic among us, Mm. but, um, you know, if we could have combined her athleticism with my, I guess, study of the game, I was, I was more into, um, reading the floor and making sure people got the ball who not to say Christy couldn't do that as well. She could, but it would have been my strength. Her strength was just absolute speed, Mm -hmm. agility. She was, she could shoot, she could pass, she could do the whole thing. Um, so it was, I learned and imagine tr- um, practicing against somebody who is so physically, yeah, so much physically better sure. than, or stronger than you are every day. Of course that would, that elevated me and I'm sure it elevated her. Um, she had to get better at reading the floor and, and having the game piece of it as well. Yeah. It was pretty empowering. But I mean, there's a lot of, a lot of, you know, kids playing sports with all dreams of making it as far as you did, like to college or perhaps even one day to the pros. How do you think you're able to make it and play at that level? Like you must have had, you know, obstacles to overcome to get to that or, you know, it must have been a great challenge. How did you, how did you meet that and become successful? Is it just pure talent? No, (laughs) exactly the opposite. I would say that, um, one, I, I didn't, 
get there. I was no, there was no stardom here, right? So right. I started as a red shirt on the team. Right. I was like the last player who got on the fir- like the, the, my first year. Which, for people who don't know what that means, yeah, it means you're you yeah. practice with the team, right. but you're not you don't play in games, right? Um, and I had a long hill to climb to physically get strong enough. Um, but I had been playing it so so I had. You know, I had a good sense of the game. I had, I knew several of the players who were also trying out. So I was part of the community. Okay. But I wouldn't have been a major contributor right. initially. And maybe, I mean, I may be selling myself short as well, but I don't think so. Um, it wasn't until sort of my third, fourth and my last year, and certainly in my last year, where I really got a, an understanding of the goal of right. wanting to win a national championship. I remember one of my first meetings when I was a red, uh, red shirt mm-hmm. in that first year with my coach. And she's like, well, what are your goals for the year? And mm. I'm like, I just going to show up to practice and <laughs> hang out with my pals. Like, I don't know. Um, and she was like, well, don't you want to win a national championship? And I'm like, oh, okay. So that's the thing. All right. So I had no idea. Right. I just right. liked the game. And it was mm. only as time progressed that I, mm. that I, figured that oh right we're supposed to actually be working towards a thing right and i can there are athletes who and richard is one my husband and richard is one of these athletes there's the athletes who have that drive to win right right i'm not that athlete okay i'm the athlete who is who has the drive to make the the weakest among us the best and so Mm. we we build a team based on we are you Mm. know um as strong as our weakest link right right um, and so it's about bringing the team into a more co- cohesive working group towards a win. Right. right. That's your passion. That's my passion. Right. And it's the group mentality, yeah. not my individual. Thankfully, yeah. the majority of the team were not like me and, and needed as individuals to be better and to score more and to win. And so I think the combination works. Um, you didn't. You wouldn't want a whole team of Maves. No. But in the same way, you don't want a whole team of people who only take the ball to well, the hoop like, and don't want to I was share. Well, like right? Michael Jordan, right? Like he probably yeah. is the biggest example, the most. And I'm comparing you to Michael Jordan. I realize that. Yeah. Woo. He's nice. A, you know, of just that insatiable desire to win at all costs. You know, but th- you'd be more like a Steve Nash. <clears throat> that right? is the ultimate compliment. There you go. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and there's only one player who can take the final shot in the game, so you can't have two Michael Jordans on the same team. No, right? no, exactly. Well, well, it's, well, the real shame is that I don't have a female example of a Michael Jordan to my at the front of my mind, even though they exist. What's her name? Is it Cheryl Swoops? Somebody in, oh yeah, the Canadian. Yeah, I just yeah. pulled that out. Thank you, John. There Thank you go. You. Yeah, yeah. I actually stopped watching. I stopped connecting with basketball very quickly after. I cannot watch NBA. Yeah. Nothing yeah, in yeah. me loves it. Yeah. Um, because the one thing I do like to watch is the college. Right. basketball in March March, March Madness, Madness. Yeah. yeah I do oh, like yeah. to watch it and I, and the women unfortunately don't get as much airtime, but it's extraordinary basketball because they play defense it's a it's a right it's about who's going to make it to the end of this tournament and you can't get there without playing excellent defense right. and so the games are just the best to mm-hmm. watch the heart and passion that you yeah. see in march madness yeah. you, even in like the the opening round games and you've got the goliaths going against yeah. the the kentuckys and kansases yeah. and 
Michigan states and, yeah, and you've got a, a tiny school like Monmouth who, or like <laughs> Loyola Marymount or something. Hey, I've been to Loyola. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's and the Hoosiers story, right? For sure, oh, we Hoosiers. all buy into. You're going to start crying. No, again. I'm not. I'm Aren't not. You? I'm not. I'm not. <laughs> Aren't you? I won't bring up Rudy either. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> John goes quiet. Yeah. Oh my gosh. That Rudy hits him right in the feels. Yeah, it sure does. Apparently, guys, Rudy's the number one movie that males cry in. Really? Okay. Yeah. Oh. oh well, I would. So I say to myself, ball. I don't think it's just crying. dudes. Yeah. Oh my god. Do you think that scale is? Um, is a little skewed just because the number of times you've watched it and cried so it throws the numbers <laughs> off. That is a definite possibility. Yes. Uh, that's good. <laughs> but that's Hoosiers, good. yes. Yeah, Hoosiers that music at the end. Oh my god! And gosh. it came out right. Yeah. I think it must have been in high school when it came out because didn't it fuel oh like all of us to be yes. like Jimmy? Oh my right? gosh! <laughs> yeah. And we, that's where so I grew up, I mean, when we were playing, I played basketball. We were always brought up to the next level because. Uh, when I say we, my friend Sherry and I, who played basketball along with me in um, Northern Alberta, where there isn't a lot to draw from, right? Or there wasn't at the time. There would be more today. Um, you know, there's we ha- we were in grade six playing with the grade sevens, right? And then in grade nine, we were playing with the high school because there just weren't enough people to make a team, right? And so we were like the team in Hoosiers. Mm. We were um, tr- practicing and you know, crappy gyms. We didn't know differently, but we, we didn't have the great uniforms and we weren't like when you'd go to the city, you go to Edmonton or Calgary and the teams were bigger and stronger and brighter colored uniforms. All their, all their uniforms were bright white. Ours were yellowish. With grass stains for some reason. (laughs) Who knows? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Cause they were used over years and years because the schools didn't have as much money. So So yeah, we, 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 you know, attached ourselves to that story. What was your proudest accomplishment as a panda? Mm. Yeah. Oh, let's think. Hmm. Anyway. Um, I don't know. I don't know why I'm emotional. I, I do know why I'm emotional. They just had a 20-year reunion. Um, mm. They won nationals two years after I left. There were a bunch of us who left the year that I left. Yeah. And uh, I'm so proud of them. Hmm. Oh, yeah, that's awesome. My greatest accomplishment would be by the end of my career, I was able to anticipate what the coach needed before she had to ask for it. And, and the coach, Hmm. um, you know, we didn't always see eye to eye. We were not, we didn't, we weren't kindred, but she ended up trusting me enough to command the floor. Hmm. That's huge. Yeah, it was huge. Huge. Yeah. Huh. Wow. And I, I, I can go into it more. Um, it's not that, you know, she didn't trust other people. I think that what it meant was I, and I knew that I had, I was able to, so, so you could see how transition it would be. She would always be telling us what play to run. And then over time, I'd be able to anticipate what play we should run because she was, she had been teaching us this over time. And uh, then, I was able to evolve into a place where I can anticipate it, which let her then be able to trust me. You know, you could see how the transition would be made. She would see that I could make a play. I I could call the right play and get the ball to the right person. Right. So she didn't need to ask that time. Exactly. Which means that the next time she might not need to ask again. Right. And so over time we, we did get to a point where I was able to go to her and say, 
I think we should put on the press. Mm-hmm. And she'd say, okay, hmm. which was huge, oh, huge. For, for a coach to let go. Um, and this coach in particular um, really, really did command us, right? Like yeah. we were in her, we were her, her disciples on the court sort of thing. And so it was a big deal to me still, oh, clearly. It's huge. Hmm. Yeah. What traits in you do you think the coach noticed that allowed you to get that trust? Oh gosh, that would have been long earned. Yeah, because my personality in hers, um, I was, I, I wouldn't say I'm rebellious because I'm not rebellious, but to authority, it's hard to yeah. just accept it. Right. And so, yeah, I think um, it took a long time. Yeah, to get to that place. But just that self-leadership is is kind of been a thread through all these stories so far, right? Like like just seeing a challenge and wind, like with Insanity, wanting to get back in better shape with the rowing, you know? Yeah. It's very difficult, but I want to push through. With the basketball, I want to be the general on the floor. Mm-hmm. Like these are, these are traits that the average person doesn't have. So do you think you've always had these or did you learn this as a child? Did your parents instill this into you? There's three questions there. Yeah, Just, sure. I'll pick one. Yeah. Pick well, one. it's, 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 it's unconscious. Like, it's not like I think, mm. oh, I need to do this thing. I, I don't. But if I had to go back in time far enough, I would say that, yeah, of course, my parents would have had a lot to do with it in the same way that we're doing it with our, I can see myself doing the same things with our kids. Right. There's an opportunity in front of you, right? I'll give you an example. There's a chess club at the school. Right. What do you mean you're not going to the chess club? Somebody's coming into your school to offer you a chess program for free for right. an hour on a Friday and you're telling me you're not going? Right. Right. Uh, <laughs> not that it made them go, but it's that idea that there's yeah. an opportunity in front of you and it's your right. um, responsibility to take advantage of something when it's provided. Mm. I would absolutely, that's my parents mm. for sure. Really? Do you recall a time in your childhood, the first time maybe that you had an obstacle that you overcame? Mm-hmm. In my childhood? Good God. Oh yeah, I got a good one. Oh, good God. Well, you're on the right podcast then. Ooh. Well, I really wanted the strawberry shortcake bike. It was at at Canadian Tire, and it was beautiful. It was pink. It had, like, strawberry shortcake on it. I was about eight, and it had a banana seat so that I could double my friend. And it had, like, the flag and the tassels and the whole thing. Like, it was everything that I ever wanted in a bike. And so my birthday's coming up and I'd, I needed a bike too. So it was, you know, logically I was going to get the bike and, um, birthday morning, mom says, your dad's outside. And I'm like, here we go, guys. This is the moment. And I go to walk out and what is facing me is like, first of all, it's a boy's frame. So it had the (laughs) middle bar that goes over. It's still a banana seat. It's got big, big, you know, it looked like floral linoleum patterned flowers on the seat um i think he might have tried to put tassels on it but basically my dad had taken a a used bike as as richard would today right right? right. and and um tried to girlify it and i looked over at it and i'm like trying to be okay with this right be okay you can tell dad did a lot (laughs) he worked so hard (laughs) he worked so hard and i look over and on the frame it's um sketched into it or stitched into it steve 
this was Steve's bike. And I'm like, oh my God, I even know Steve, right? Like this was Steve <laughs> from up the road. So you, you rubbed off S and T? Yeah, I could have done. I could have had I thought about it, but I was too <laughs> distraught. Right. And I'm sure I started crying, right? Aww. I'm sure I started crying. But I had to overcome the shame oh. of this shitty bike mm-hmm. that did not meet my dreams. Mm. And I, of course, it's the 80s and parents are just like, that's your bike. Yeah. Like there's no way around this, right? right. There's, there would have been no whining or complaining or whatever. Yeah. So, and it, as a kid in the 80s where you have the freedom to roam in your neighborhood, unlike today, um, we... It was how I got to meet with my friends. So I got on my bike at some point and I rode over to Sherry's house and I knocked on her door and said, you want to come out and play? I'm like, yeah, there's my shit bike, right? And she's like, yeah, what else? It's got a banana seat. Let's go, right? right. And it didn't even matter. Yeah. Right? right. And But it took, mm. that was a real character building experience mm. for this eight-year-old. Yeah, for sure. But it would, like if you had, if I was to characterize that, if I was to take that to expand it out scale it up to all of the conflicts of my life that's how they would have all gone something that required me to dig deeper Hmm. shanti yeah to dig deep and not let my ego Hmm. impact the moving forward with something so Hmm. everything just builds more and more character right it's funny you use the word ego because in many ways it's served you so well Hmm. right it's it's given you that fire to you know push through and all that stuff but it also can have a liability Mm. right and it's learning to live with the ego and and yeah it's such a challenge well i think in terms of especially in leadership we see this all the time where does ego move forward and where does it stop right where does it make everybody stop with it and i see this at every level of government that i've interacted with when when the best leaders the ones who inspire and um, encourage and motivate others to engage in politics are the ones whose egos aren't part of the conversation, hmm. right? They, it might be there. Of course we all have one, right. but it doesn't enter. It's not about their win or their work. It's about how we're all going to work together right. to move forward. And th- that's how more people get engaged. But that's how you were with basketball. Right. right. That's what you yeah. just described. Right. So yeah. maybe that's what I see. Yeah. Maybe that's what I see as good examples of leadership because I yeah. think that's how it should go. Right. Oh, mm. Interesting. Yeah. And that's, there's a, definitely some correlations between how you described your role on the basketball team and, and how I've, I've heard you describe your role on, on council and in the right. political arena. Right. So I'm curious, um, what more connections would you make between, uh, between that, hmm. those earlier learnings? It's interesting that you say that. I I have, in the past, made a connection in that same way. I, I'm I'm just trying to recall what it was. Um, it is being on council. I know what it is. Hang on, here it is. When I started as a red shirt, I was not the best player on the floor, and I didn't have a command of the game, and I didn't get to the point where I could run the game. Right. Um same thing on council my first day Mm. i almost passed out again what is this Mm. (laughs) this is my my stress response um i was like what am i doing here i don't know the rules i didn't know robert rules i'd never been on a board i'd never been in a meeting i'd never done it in public like there's people watching you as you're making decisions or talking um so i didn't know how to move work forward i couldn't make a motion which is how you bring new work to the table 
Um, I didn't know how to do any of it. And so, but by the end, mm-hmm. it was the same. I okay. was like, I yeah. sat down, I was confident. I'd, I'd read an agenda. I wouldn't have to write the reams of notes that I used to have to write or practice on my way to council meetings, right. what I was going to say. I could just look at something and already have the connections in my head made about how we had to move it forward, how I could win, because mm. that's a different thing altogether. Um, and when I say win, I mean, I don't mean me personally, but how my idea could actually get the four votes that it needed. Um, but fair enough. Like, how did you win? Like, how did you get a seat on council in the first place? I mean, I saw your signs all over my neighborhood. Right. So that was I'm so sorry about that. Yeah. yeah. Well, that was part of it. Yeah. Yeah. And that is part of it. It is. For it, sure. Yeah. And, and I just want people to know that if somebody ever runs for council, even if you think they're the biggest lump on the stage at the all candidates meeting or whatever, womp, womp, that guy should not be up there. That person has more courage than yeah. everybody else sitting in the audience and everybody else who didn't even come to the all candidates meeting. It takes so much courage to stand up and say, these are my convictions and I want you to follow me along with them. Because the first thing people do is judge, right? They oh, only sure. criticize, well, that's not going to work, right? Right. When in fact, the libertarian on, on the stage is likely to have some perspective that mm-hmm. could make that policy better. Now, I'm not saying we should all be libertarians, but they have something to add, right? Right. So, yeah, I mean, it takes a lot of courage to run. But I was encouraged to run by somebody, um, a woman who was retiring and um so i'm like no no way and so eventually i ended up saying yes and which is what everybody will do but but it didn't really start right there like i, I think no i'm just telling you here because <laughs> <laughs> uh, i have the advantage of knowing some of the background mm. like i remember even years before that you were starting to write like letters to the editor about local right, issues right Right. And I remember you saying one time when we were out at the pub with, with, you know, Brock and, and Demir and, and friends, you just, you know, saying like, I just, you know, I feel like for so long I was on the sidelines when it came to local politics and issues, but mm-hmm. I just feel like maybe it's cause I'm getting older or maybe I just feel it's more responsible. I just need to know, know the issues and I'm starting to get engaged and mm-hmm. it's really, really mm-hmm. kind of interesting and exciting. Mm-hmm. And then didn't you write an article kind of about that one time? Like how well, and then we I ended need up, to be, yes. you know, more informed and yeah anyways yeah i did and i ended up getting a column in the paper i wrote a letter to the editor right really liked it called the editor and said hey so you got a column or anything that i could i love to do more of right and then he set up this thing where a few of us all had we alternated weeks and that was often a theme about just getting engaged Mm -hmm. and getting my generation of of people you know between you know 50 south um, we really have been asleep, I think, mm-hmm. um, as a cohort and, and especially in politics, we've been very self-centered and, um, I think that we're seeing the impact of that now, right? Who is our leadership? They're the same people that have always been there. Now we're starting mm-hmm. to see a shift. Like right. look what happened in the U.S. in the midterms. Yeah. All of a sudden yeah. more women, more minorities, mm-hmm. more, more, mm-hmm. more, more, more. And I think that that could have taken place over the last 20 years. It didn't need to continually be, you know, the same dudes who have been there for 25 years. But we just didn't step up. Right. And that was a constant theme in my in my columns. Um, and then... Um, 
yeah, then Barb did ask me to run. And of course it made sense. I had helped her with her campaign. And now like looking back on it, of course, right. it makes sense that I should have done it as well. But at the time it was, it was all new to me. Um, and then I ran and I had, I can tell you, this is the secret to success at a local government level when you're running. It is about who you know. Mm-hmm. I had what I call the dream team. Um, they were five women who had five different connections out into the community. So they weren't all the same group right. and they were successful in their own right and opinionated in their own right. And just, and they remain fabulous women. And so I, th- I'm sure that played a significant role in me getting fifth out of sixth place and on the council table. <laughs> Um, because I vi- did virtually come from nowhere. I did have the column in the paper, but really, I wasn't from Couch, and I, I'd moved there in 2000. Well, and your blog as well, eight. right? And I had a blog, but right. again, like John, like three people read it, right? Uh, so. But you know, it's worth saying. Yeah, yeah, Maeve sure. has a blog, everybody. <laughs> <laughs> What's the name of your blog, Maeve? Uh, it's couchanddale.com. But I literally yeah. just posted something, but it has been a long time. I might get back to it now that I have more time. Now that all our listeners are going to be looking it up, you're, yeah, you're going to sure. see a big spike after this thing airs. <laughs> Well, yeah, look look at this person who yeah. has uh who has the drive to do the yeah. insanity workouts and absolutely doesn't mind being on the Thames at five o'clock in the morning mm. by herself. That was and, a gift, yeah. I wouldn't yeah. say five, though, that's way too early. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I wanna delve into that subject matter a little bit more. So for, for people who are listening and thinking, like, wow, she has the courage to step up and run for council with no political experience really Mm. um she has the courage to go and redshirt on the on the basketball team when she she knows she's not the most talented she's not the tallest she's not the fastest but she's out there and she's willing to put in the work how how do you think people who maybe believe that about themselves but are Mm. aren't quite ready to to make that step forward and to step into the spotlight how do you think they might be able to develop those skills or that courage yeah, find somebody who's done it. Um, it really demystifies the importance of what you're about to do. When I, and I'll say what I mean. You know, go to a council meeting, if council's interest, if that's what your interest is. Right. And you'll see it's not as, we, we sort of elevate these things in our minds. Like, mm-hmm. whoa, these guys are super smart or they know the most or whatever. They're just like us. They're mm-hmm. just the same. Um, anybody can run for council. And anybody who is engaged in their work can do an excellent job at council, regardless of ideology, regardless of history or education. If you're engaged in the work, you can do it. But to overcome that sort of fear of start, getting started on something, go find somebody who's done it. Like go and call up a counselor, call up a business owner if, if that's the kind of business you want to want to get into, or you know if you're if if um, if you want to do the insanity workout, go online and find out what people have done. And it takes away um, the fear of the unknown. And we often make it way bigger than it actually is, right? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Well, and another thing, um, Andrew, I'm sure you've picked up on this as well, is like at the start, whenever you, you were faced with a challenge or an obstacle, you talked about like, I'm going to pass out. You know, <laughs> like that was kind of the yeah, first reaction, right? Funny. Just that sort of confusion, nausea, yeah. like just that sort of, you know, anxiety that, that you can feel. Um, but, you know, I think the difference between people who become successful and get what they want and people who don't is they push, they don't know how to push past that feeling. Right. So how did you, 
when you felt that, which for most people will just floor them mm. and say, okay, obviously I'm not meant to do the insanity workout or, right. uh, well, I'm sick at council. Right. I shouldn't be on council. Right. What, like, what would you say to those people who can't get past that initial sort of anxiety or trepidation? I think, well, I, I think I know where mine comes from. And it would be that my parents, when I was younger, saying, yeah, you feel like this, but you're doing it anyway. Mm-hmm. Right. Right. Yeah, I know you, well, they wouldn't have said this. I know you suck at violin, but it's, the, it, you, <laughs> we've committed you to playing at this right. thing. You got to do it, mm-hmm. right? Um, and I think we are doing our children a disservice if we don't encourage them to overcome it at that age, yeah, because absolutely. that is the hardest and easiest time to do it, right? Yes. Um, and so I would say just by practice. So so on council, one of the, one of my biggest issues was I was afraid to speak in public. Mm. Um, and so I started out, w- when you run for council, you get a two-minute speech that you just recycle three times and you're done. Like that, that is literally all we had to do in terms of public speaking on council. Uh, sorry, in, during the election, during the campaign. One-on-one, I can talk to anybody, mm-hmm. but put you up on a stage and the dynamic is so different. Mm-hmm. So I got in the council chair and because I didn't know the rules of the game and I didn't know the content of it very well, I was so nervous that I just wouldn't speak. Mm-hmm. And it, my heart would be like, I, I swear you could probably hear it in mm-hmm. the microphone at the council, <laughs> you know. Um, and my mentor, Barb Lines, who had, who had been on council before, she said, you know what, Maeve, just wait until you know you're right about what you want to say. Mm-hmm. Wait until you know you have conviction in something and then you won't feel the same nervousness. And she was exactly right. Mm-hmm. When I knew I had to say it, you're just compelled to do it. Right. Um, I would say it, still nervous, mm-hmm. but it was the right thing to do. And you do that enough, mm. practice, practice, practice. By the end of the term, I'm I don't have that same issue anymore. I, I rarely get nervous mm. to the point where I had to do a eulogy um, at a right, funeral, right. and yes. I was nervous at the beginning. There was no way I could have done that four years ago, no. but I did it. Yeah, and, and, and I was, did. and was I was happy amazing. with it. Yeah. yeah. Hmm. So yeah, it, I, I can't remember your question yet, but anymore, but, um, you answered it perfectly. Great. Yeah. Yeah. That was it. Yeah, Just it, do it. Just practice. That was a question yeah. is, is how you help people who can't get past the anxiety right. or the fear. Right. And, and you said one, you know, w- once you believe enough in it or if you're passionate enough in it, then you're just going to do it. You'll anyway. push through it yeah. to get what you want. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Find the thing that yeah. helps you. Yeah. ignore the fear right. and you'll do it anyway yeah or immerse yourself in such a way that you can't get out right and <laughs> you're gonna have to do it anyway right yep. you're so. elected to council you yeah you got to do this it up. <laughs> <laughs> when it comes to parenting and and you brought this up and i'm not sure if it's something that you want you're open to talking about but if you are um you, you mentioned that your parents kind of just you know you're doing this and you might not like it right now, but you're gonna. It's gonna help you grow. How has that kind of mentality, which maybe isn't as common anymore in parenting, how has that shaped your role as a parent? And when have when has it been really hard to play that role? Mm. Well, every day it's hard to play that role, All right? Because you never know. And I realize now my parents probably didn't know either. We're just doing our best. And by the way, when they presented it to me as you're doing that, and it might not feel good to you today, 
but it will eventually, you'll understand. That's not how it had been presented or characterized in that moment. It's get your ass on that stage because you're here to do it, right? And not mean, just we've committed and there's no getting out of this. Right. Um, my kids would get the message you just said, where I know you're not happy today. This is what we have to do in life. And afterwards, you're going to feel pretty great about yourself. Right. Mm -hmm. And so that would be the cult, uh, the generational shift in parenting mm -hmm. messages. But I think um, every day it's difficult to to know, am I saying or doing or acting or representing or modeling the right thing to these kids? There is no right way. And yet we are excellent judges of all the ways that everybody else parents their kids. Right. Mm -hmm. um, but Especially people without kids. They're the real experts. <laughs> we were too. They're the most opinionated. I can remember Richard sure. and I having the best opinions <laughs> of Richard's sister's kids. And now in retrospect, I'm like, just slow clap for her. Like she was amazing. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. It's, it's just, uh, you, you do it the best you can in the moment and hope to God <laughs> this thing is going to end up okay. And accept that somewhere down the line, you're probably going to have to pay for some psychology bills. <laughs> How the hell did you, you know, run for council and, and manage to be on council with kids, <laughs> right? Like your, your yeah. kids, how old were they at the time? They were four, six and eight. Right. Yeah. That's a busy time. That's a busy time. How, how did you, how did you navigate the obstacle uh -huh. of like, you know time with the kids versus your town needs you like mm -hmm. how that and i was working yeah and you're working yeah. i have a husband named richard yes and richard was the mom he played uh -huh. the the stay-at-home dad well pretty much i mean he still worked part-time but um yeah and for the most part anyway there were still things i was responsible for that we still we still fight about but, uh, but it can be done. You can't do. Yeah, yeah it can be done. Mm -hmm. And even a single parent could do this. Mm -hmm. It's just about putting supports in place. Mm -hmm. um, our neighbor would often take the girls right. at a last minute's notice if Richard had to go and do something or go work or whatever. Right. Um, but it is a difficult. That is one of the most difficult things is the constant juggle of schedules. Right. Mm -hmm. So you want to make sure that you have predictability for those kids through mm. that time and Richard was that element of predictability for right. them I missed it like that is um one of the hardest things is like I'd be leave I'd leave at the worst possible this is the thing right. meetings were always at the worst possible times for families right at what 6 30 right. right yeah the kids might have just eaten right yeah and then the the gong show begins because mm. they're full of beans <laughs> it's an hour before bedtime they yeah. get their second wind yeah um, and I'd leave. Yeah. Good luck. Right. Bye. I love you. Heart sign. Yeah. Um, and he was, oh, he's just always uh, so amazing. Mm -hmm. Like you look great. You're ready. You've got this mm -hmm. so many times. Oh, yeah. Wow. yeah. You can't do it without that. No. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You brought up the idea of supports and you, you kind of have this, this vibe about you where you're like, you can handle it. You can stress free is is what you're giving off now, but obviously there were some difficult times mm -hmm. and 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 it was not an easy role. Mm -hmm. um, what supports did you rely on when when you were in those rough patches? So Richard would hear all of it, right? I'd come home from meetings and I'd just need to unload on whatever I thought went the wrong way or somebody acted a certain way or whatever. Um, 
and he's he's excellent at he didn't know anything about the poet nothing about the issues right? right but understands human nature well enough to be able to um just highlight what the real issue was ah so her ego is upset because she didn't get this mm. thing the other day well, and now yeah. she's impacted over here and be like yeah that's a good point i didn't even factor that bit in mm-hmm. right so richard was great at, at at unloading my parents um you know, we, we had to do some pretty intense things this last council term that not every council has to deal with. And right towards the end, it got to a place where I was like, I need some I need some advice from somebody who's done this. And because my dad's experience in his work, um, I was able to call on him and my mom. And they were excellent too. Like just, okay, if, if this has happened, you know, these are the types of steps you can take. Um, and having never been in a situation where you're you're in, you're in, on the board and you're managing one employee, which is sort of the structure that that we we go by, um, I'd never understood the relationship. So right. my dad was really good at helping me understand that. Um, and then our mm-hmm. pals, we had a the mm-hmm. Cowichan Conversation Club, <laughs> yeah. which is pretty funny. Let's talk about that CCC, <laughs> yeah CCC, um, which like you guys wanted to talk about interesting things. Mm-hmm. Um, we would, I also, I also wanted the same and I still do in Cowichan. And, um, I think there are some groups that are getting made, but at the time we, we really didn't have an outlet for people to talk about local or bigger issues. Mm -hmm. Um, and so my friend Brock and I said, let's do this thing. And, and John and Demir came and now we didn't talk a lot about local government at those things because most of what I needed to talk about was confidential. Um, yeah, and we're sitting in like the neighborhood pub, yeah, <laughs> like yeah. a small town. Yeah, where, exactly. Yeah. Um, but I did tell Brock pretty much everything, yeah. even confidential stuff, mm-hmm. um, which was against the rules. But it was necessary. I, I'm not sure I agree with the rule where... We can um, edit that out if you want. Yeah, I don't even know. <laughs> no, because I, I don't know that I agree with it. Yeah, I think yeah. that when people are working through problems... <laughs> Um, you need a person. You need one yeah. person that you get to tell, oh, right? Sure. And so I think it's kind of an unwritten rule that you'll tell your spouse. Right. Um, in some cases, some people wouldn't because their spouse would go, blah, 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 all over the town. Right, right. But I do think everybody needs one person with whom they can um, share some details that in, mean that you'll make a better decision at the other end of this, right? Where they say, okay, I can see you're emotional right now. But logically, here are some, you know, things that you might want to consider. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think it just makes you a better decision maker. And ultimately, isn't that what we want? Oh, right. Absolutely. So, um, and I, you know, Brock, um, well, Brock died and we knew he was going to die. Mm-hmm. And so um, we mm-hmm. like terribly had a joke about the fact that I could tell him everything because it would, right. <laughs> it would never come back and haunt me. Right. But, um, and of course he was fabulous. Like he, he would never say anything to anybody. And he had, he had such a great grasp on, on governance and expectations for society. So he was a great person to talk through all of that stuff with. Yeah. I think everybody just needs somebody that they can work through. And part of this too is, you know, you brought up your parents many times and why don't you just tell our listeners 
Um, I don't know if he's finished doing this, but what 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 is your dad hiking just recently? Oh yeah, and, and yeah, how yeah. and how old is he, by the way? <laughs> yeah, so dad's seventy seven, right? And he just finished the Camino de Santiago, which is some wow. Yeah. So for those for those people who yeah. who are googling that right now, um, what is that? How long is that? Uh, where oh, is that? I want to say it's like nine hundred kilometers. It? Yeah, it's in northern it's Spain. In Spain. Okay. Um, you're basically walking. There's several routes, which I I didn't know any of this. Right. Um. And it's, but he walked almost straight across. Um, I think he started in Pamplona. I can't remember the details, but I think it's something like 900 kilometers. And it took him 30, 40 days to do it. He did 35 days and something, and then he did the last five because he had to, scheduling didn't work out. But um, extraordinary. Yeah, just an extraordinary thing. Bucket list item for him. Solo? Wow. Yeah. So that explains a lot, right? Just maybe having a drive, I mean, and mm-hmm. just having that example. So that gives kind of inspiration to parents everywhere mm-hmm. that you can really make a profound difference. Right. You know, because yeah. you probably haven't even connected the dots. But right. just having an example of that in your life where I'm sure he did things like that, you know. His well, they whole, moved to Canada. His whole life, right? Out of yeah. the blue. Yeah. Yeah, and started then. Oh, well, I would say it's in the whole family. Yeah. I think it's a Maguire trait. My oh. grandma was was a feisty woman. Right. And uh, if I think about his siblings and their kids, and this is just a Maguire thing. Yeah. But but yet, it, yet you know, not to, not to, you know, make yourself sound like superheroes, although it sounds like it, you still talk about having to, like, push past that, like, mm-hmm. initial fear and all this kind of stuff. And I just, I just think, like, you know, it can be such a, such a um, barrier for so many people is right. they can't get past that initial thing. They think that that means they shouldn't be doing it, mm. but it's, that's just part of the package. Mm-hmm. You, it's part of the, part of the feeling of being human and trying to accomplish something that's hard. Mm-hmm. Right? You're going to feel, you know, wonky yeah. a little bit. Right. <laughs> and you and in fact, push if you didn't, that. if you didn't, yeah. um, you know, why not? Are you not engaged in it? Yeah, exactly. to the point where you should be right so that it is part and it's interesting because you know again we're raising these children who we're seeing higher signs of anxiety and oh huge um, right now less less yeah. you know less likely to engage into something that well i mean i'm, I'm assuming that that's the result of anxiety but right. um what a sh- what a shame what are they missing out on it, is it, the joy that comes on the other side of having yeah, accomplished it. Exactly. And it's also coincides with this being the age of a lot of helicopter parenting, mm-hmm. which is basically, you know, just parents, you know, insulating their, their children from discomfort. Mm-hmm. And, and well, and, and we do it too. Like we, we are yeah. as um, prone to it, even though, you know, we try and kick the kids out of the house to go to the park um, there we all were on Halloween night right. walking with our kids. I'm like, okay, guys, I think it's time for the neighborhood parents right. to go sit in the pub, which is, you know, a central location yeah. between if they needed something, yeah, we'd all yeah. be there. But I think it's time we're not with them all the time now oh, because sure. we have now a 12, 10 and eight year old. Sure. The eight year old might still need somebody to accompany her, but right. isn't that the 12 year old's job? Yeah. Exactly. And we, we're still there, right? So so we've bought into this this new society where we, some for some ridiculous reason, we need to be fearful when reality and, and statistically, the kids are okay. I mean, nobody builds forts anymore. 
Yeah, right? in the middle of the forest. I, I've caught myself saying that. Angie and yeah. I laugh about that. We right. go build a fort or something. <laughs> the kids look at us like, like online? Yeah. Like, oh, that's <laughs> great, like, John, What do you mean so go great. build a yeah. fort? Yeah. With what? Like yeah. are recycling all your freaking yeah. wine bottles? Oh my gosh, what a shame, right? <laughs> yeah. What do you think the impact is of that fearfulness? Yeah. Um, of be, as a parent, mm-hmm. the impact? Oh, I don't, I think it's, it's, um, a step back from progress as humans. Um, whenever we make decisions around fear, we are we are doing everybody a disservice. Um, you know, I can't. Our kids won't benefit from us making decisions based on fear about their lives, right? Right. Yeah, I think it's probably the worst way to approach anything. So how might we get by that as a society, as parents? We need to, one of the things we need to do is insist that our government um, take a step back from parenting us. So there are, you know, the, the way, and this is the work that I'm doing now, so I'm, I'm getting more intimately familiar with it. The way that the, the legislation is being applied in the ministry of children and family is that if I call on John, I make a call to the ministry and say that John's, well, now your kids are too old, but when they were younger, John's kids are out and there's no parents around. And, mm-hmm. and, uh, it looks like little Johnny has a bruise on his arm. Mm-hmm. The ministry will come to John's house and do an investigation. Yeah. And if they want, if they have any, it's it's John doesn't get the re, the the benefit of the doubt. Um, if there's any indication that they feel these children are in an unsafe environment, they're separated from they're they're removed, and they go and stay with John's relatives or in a foster program, depending on how. And so what that has done that that ability and the power that the ministry holds is it's made all of us go ooh okay. So I don't want the call to be made on me. Because if a call is made on me, we're screwed, right? right? right. So instead of having the risk of a call being made on me, I'm not going to put my children in any potentially riskful scenario because um, we might be, the the impact might be so ridiculously um, insane, right? And it's, it's created an environment of fear around parenting and the helicopter and... It's one component. It's not all of it, but it is one element. Well, and that, and then that, you know, continues through every other fabric of society. Well, if I leave my high-paying job to start this business, right? You know, what happens mm-hmm. if the business doesn't, you know, mm-hmm. go? If right. it doesn't fly, right. I could lose everything. everything. So I shouldn't start. So yeah. it doesn't matter if it's my dream. I'll just stay at this job I hate and just be. Yeah. What did I call myself? Um, was it comfortably miserable? Yeah. Right. Yeah. So, so we have this, we have these <gasps> people who are comfortably miserable, um, but they're safe. I think that's my dream. Demir and I joke about this. <laughs> oh, I wish I could be comfortably miserable. It's so much easier. <laughs> yeah. It is. No, you don't sure. have to like get up and change the world every day. No, you can actually sure. just come home, crack a beer, exactly. turn the TV on. Netflix, Kids are doing whatever. Yeah, yeah, I don't know. Exactly. They're watching with me. Sure. Yeah. And then we all go to bed and get up in the morning and do it all again. And then, ah, it's so much less effort. And and you think there's no risk involved, but but the great risk is um, obvious. 
I mean, you get to the end of your life and you look back and you're like, like what life? Yeah. Well, I just couldn't. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not wired that way. No. I don't know. I'm trying to think if I know anybody wired that way. Yeah, I guess I have a few friends who are more so, less risk. It's not about even taking risk. It's about engaging. Right. Right. And if you're engaged in whatever your thing is, naturally you want to get better at it and you want to do more of it. And and so even if it's um, you're the soccer coach at the local Little League and you're fully engaged in that, you've made a difference to so many kids' lives, right? For sure. Um, but it's just about, it's not about being successful or uh, or even changing the world. It's just about fully going deep. Mm-hmm. And I bet that's something we haven't done a lot of in mm-hmm. our generation is to go deep into something and fully commit to one thing and get really, really good at one thing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, that I think we we don't we haven't done enough of that. The way, for example, our parents' generation would have had one job, right? Same job, forty five years, right. right? Yeah. Um. Now you wouldn't want that either. But you to be able to go deep into one industry or one calling or one you know or the you know, word of just having a craft, right? Right. Mm-hmm. This is my craft, like Richard. Yeah. Right. Right. He has an actual craft, a specialty. This yeah. is this is what I've devoted my yeah. my years to right. perfecting mm-hmm. this craft. Yeah, I'm yeah. envious of that. I mm-hmm. always work towards that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. How do you go deep? How do you go deep? Oh God, it means it means shutting out all the other distractions, and it's not just a Netflix distraction. It's Oh yeah, that that looked actually pretty fun over there. I, I kind of mm-hmm. like the look of that thing too, mm-hmm. right? Um, I think I'm now going deep into politics, and again, it's like an unconscious choice that I just move in that direction because it's what I'm engaged in. Well, and you haven't said what you're doing actually yet, right? You, right. So my current job, yeah, and... my current job is I'm working as an assistant to Sonia Firstenau, who's um, the MLA for Cowichan, and she's the deputy leader for the Green Party. Um, of BC and she's just an extraordinary person um, in herself Um, but and I've learned you know in the last year Mm -hmm. like the first year on council another exponentially steep curve learning curve Uh, so so in that way I am now immersing myself into one topic or in one environment in the same way that when you know John started his business Mm -hmm. um, John went deep (laughs) right and it's just about sort of finding something that I guess ultimately you want to find the thing that when a distraction shows up, you're not even interested because right. you are so engaged in this. But it's it's really about not letting those other potential um, draws draw you in. Mm-hmm. So even with the insanity thing a little bit, it right. has distracted me from, and I was saying this to John earlier that, you know, between the transition from out of not being on council anymore, which just finished, and um, going into and just being focused 100% on my work with Sonia, that that transition wasn't fully smooth. It wasn't like, oh yeah, I'm free, let's do this thing. I was confused. Who am I now? What's my role? What am I contributing to everything? And I think the insanity thing helps me kind of move through that transition as I get a focus on me. Hmm. Um, and so 
it was a distraction. Right. And I can't afford to have that dis- that much of a distraction <laughs> every day and still be able to go deeply into my work with Sonia. So I will move into more exercise, a different type right. of thing, but it won't be nearly the same focus that nearly it was. Nearly as insane. Nearly as insane, yeah. <laughs> but it's just about making sure that that's the thing that you're focusing on in mm. the moment and and trying not to to let other things sleep in, which of course they do. We're normal, oh, right? Sure. Of course there's going to be another series on Netflix that I'm going to need to watch. Yeah. But, if, you know, that helps too. It's mm-hmm. mental health. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But, but refining that central focus and, yeah. and really and zeroing in and, and, yeah, having the resilience to, to keep on it mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. until you've fully well, seen it out. Yeah, I was, I was talking to somebody along a little while ago about how... This was when I had just started to think I'm not going to run for council anymore. And I think it was before I started working with Sonia. And she said, well, Maeve, you, you need to define the top of your mountain. Hmm. Um, and I'm like, oh, okay, well, I, I don't know, maybe write a book or I don't know. She's like, well, what do you ultimately at the end of the career, what are you doing? Like, what's the, what's the pinnacle there? And I said, well, um, can, the government of Canada had just announced that they were going to um, select you could apply to be a senator in in the in the Canadian government. I'm like, there it is. That's the top of the mountain. Wouldn't that be amazing? Yeah. And um, so I'm like, oh, I'll Senate. I, I want to be a senator, right? And she said, okay, that's... She actually drew a mountain and she said, okay, mm-hmm. there, the Senate's on top of the mountain. And she said, and now, you know, you're climbing to the top. And so every step you take needs to be in the direction of, of going, you know, being on the Senate. So if you get a job offer and it takes you to the right, you Mm want to ask yourself, okay, do I absolutely have to take that job or can I not take that job because my next opportunity might move me towards the top of that mountain. And it's amazing how much, how clear that becomes. Like is not to say that the Senate remains the top of my mountain. Your top is always going to change. But if it did, you know, the work I'm doing now, sure, it moves me in that direction. You never know how you're going to get there. It doesn't even matter if you get there. But just think of the journey that you took all right. the way along is 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 more focused, hopefully rich. Um, and it gets you to a place where you feel where you're looking back on your life and saying, look what I did. Look at what look at the difference that I made mm-hmm. in, in the world. And so it, it really made a difference to me being clear on what I wanted to do. I, I love your point about it not being like just, uh, well, this is a path you take to the top of the mountain. Just stay on that path. You'll get there yeah, eventually. No. That's why we That's call, call this obstacle yes. course. It really is an obstacle course. Right. I mean, sometimes you're shimmering under, under things. You're yeah. you're flying over things. Yeah. You're having to get help to get over. I mean, it's just, it's an adventure. Mm-hmm. Well, and... You've got kids or yeah. or a physical disability all of a sudden or mm-hmm. somebody dies or right. whatever, right? right? Like financial, I mean it oh, could, yeah. yeah, you're going you're there's no direct route. No. But you the when you get to that decision making point, am I going to take this route or am I going to take a different one? It just reminds you, okay, I promised myself I was going to move towards this. And is this going to get me there? And sometimes you have to go right. And Mm. then you go right and you say, okay, I'm going to go right for a while because we need the money or, you know, I need to get Mm -hmm. this kid to do this thing or whatever. And then you'll always Mm. find your way back. I like it. Mm -hmm. Awesome. So Maeve has a secret project 
I don't know if she wants to talk about it, <laughs> but, but she told It's so she, secret. We haven't done anything about it yeah, yet. And she told me, she told me about it after she had a few glasses of wine. <laughs> and then the next morning I, I remember, you know, saying, so do you remember uh, <laughs> that nice little thing you shared about where you, was that the wine talking? <laughs> yes. You're like, well, it might've been the wine talking the way I told it, but yeah. no, there is truth there. So talk about going right yeah. on your mountain. Of, I mean, <laughs> yeah. But is that something you want to share for our listeners? Well, okay. So we've, we've had an idea. I had an idea a while ago and uh, it was to write a serial, like a, mm, I don't know, potentially comedic. Mm-hmm. Um, television series um, called The Market because the marketplace downtowns where on a Saturday morning and all the farmers come in and your neighbors show up and people you don't even know show up there's so much happening there it's just such a rich environment for stories and uh, mm-hmm. and you know it is part of what I like to do is tell stories anyway so um yeah, I just, it's always been this thing I wanted to do. And so when I decided not to run for council, I, well, of course I need to fill that space with something else. And there are a few people locally who are either involved in the market or who are, um, who go to the market and who are very funny and very, like, you know, they get all the details. Mm-hmm. And I just thought, you know, wouldn't it be neat to get us together and create something? And now mm-hmm. it might not be TV. It might be a podcast. It might be something. But it was just, there's this joy in creativity. And yeah. so when I talk about being distracted from the top of the mountain, <laughs> um, you know, maybe that we do need to make space for the mental health break, yeah, right? Because if sure. you're so focused on one thing, that's not going to work either. And this would be exactly that. A it's, passion project. Yeah, passion right? project. And it's, uh, you know, just in, in the way that John has a, has a passion for the cinema. Mm-hmm. Um, and I could... You know, I hope that somehow your work, you know, you did the light, you did some lighting for some crews. Mm -hmm. You know, you'd love to see how your work and your passion could sometimes, maybe not all the time, but at at least coexist. Um, And so, you know, this would just be one project. And if there was a way to um, show things that I've learned through in the work in my life, in a in an entertaining way what better way to teach the world right yeah, absolutely so who knows I that's mean, awesome we'll see we'll see if there's time it's exciting um, yeah well next time we bring you on the podcast it'll be you for can give us an <laughs> update yeah. Yeah, for and, sure. or or it's gone live yeah. in whatever means yeah we'll see for sure we'll see so the last question we have hmm. which we like to kind of end off with is the the word legacy hmm. so when you think about what kind of legacy you are trying to leave or hoping to leave for your kids by your decisions, uh, what, what do you hope that is? What do you hope that looks like? So we chose to live in Maple Bay, mm-hmm. which is a seaside villagey type space mm-hmm. type place. And we made that decision because we wanted to, um, we didn't want to get caught up in the rat race in the cogs, which we were in London and and we saw in Vancouver as well. And, and so w- in one aspect, I hope that they, um, they see the benefit of not conforming to what, how everybody else lives. Like it's okay to choose a new and, and carve out a new path, a different way of living than your, mm. than the people around you. Mm. Um, so that's one thing mm-hmm. just lifestyle wise. Yeah. 
um, I think what they'll, they'll, you know, the girls have seen both Richard and I make, make career choices that are not common. And I hope that they see um, that you can have a great life by not putting money first. And that, that saying that the money will come, well, we're still waiting, but I still believe it's possible. And regardless, in the end, of course, deep down, we all know that, you know, money isn't the most important thing, mm-hmm. even though we all want it to happen at the same time. But um, that the lesson for all of us is that by choosing what you love, um, you do get a richer life. You do get a better life. It's just not defined by money in the bank. It's defined by the relationships and the connections you've made Mm. in the community and the difference you might have made to some people's lives along the way. That's a a beautiful way to wrap up, I think. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, I just really want to say thank you for coming on and sharing your voice and your values and and your, your passion. And uh, it's been a pleasure learning from you and, and sitting here with you today. Well, it's absolutely my pleasure to be your guest on this wonderful, successful podcast. <laughs> Thanks so much, Maeve. Mm-hmm. Until next time. Well, that's the episode. Thanks so much for tuning in, everyone. We appreciate your time and attention. If we can make one request, please subscribe. How do you do that, John? They push subscribe. That's all you got to do. We also got social media, guys. We've got Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. Please like us and follow us there. We also got a really fancy website. ObstacleCoursePodcast.com. That is the one. It's where you'll find our show notes and lots of other goodies. And if you have somebody who'd be great for the podcast, please let us know. Send us a message on any of those networks and we'll bring them on. Mm-hmm. For sure. We're always looking for good people. Thanks for listening. Keep pushing through those obstacles.